Gennesaret is given to us as a metaphor of saving faith. We have Nazareth on the one side, and we have Gennesaret on the other. Nazareth, we're told specifically that Jesus did not do many mighty works there. We are told He laid His hands on a few and healed a few. So whoever came to Jesus with any sort of belief was healed. But by and large, we're told that Nazareth was left devoid of miracles because of their pervasive unbelief. But here we're told that as many as were brought to Jesus, as many as touched Him were healed. No one was brought to Jesus and left unhealed. So the conclusion that we must come to is that Gennesaret is a picture of belief. It's a picture of faith. So all who brought were brought to Jesus were healed and were being shown this as an example, as an illustration of faith. So let's Slow down just a little bit and let's be careful. First of all, I want to be careful that you don't hear me saying that Jesus was some sort of faith healer. That for Jesus to heal, you had to come to Him with faith. That was not true. Jesus healed on many instances people who were demonstrably, demonstrably, demonstrably free from faith. Lazarus could not possibly believe in anything. He was dead. Jairus' daughter could not possibly believe in anything. The widow's son could not possibly believe in anything. Or we think of John chapter 9, the man who was born blind. Jesus heals him, and we know for certain there that when Jesus healed him of his infirmity, that he did not have any sort of belief in Jesus at all whatsoever because later on Jesus encounters him again. And Jesus says to him, you better stop sinning and believe upon the Son of Man so that worse may not happen. He says, well, who is this son of man that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, the one who healed you is him. He says, oh. And the the synagogue leaders are asking, who healed you? He says, I have no idea who it was. He had no idea who healed him, so he could not have believed in him. So faith was not a prerequisite. Any kind of faith was not prerequisite for Jesus to be able to heal. He could do what he wanted in accordance with the Father's will. If it was the Father's will will to heal someone who had no sort of faith whatsoever, that was the Father's will. But Gennesaret is positioned for us, is displayed for us as an opposition to Nazareth. Nazareth is a place devoid of belief. So Gennesaret is shown to us as a place full of belief. So let's think of what that means. So what I'm not saying is that all the people, these hundreds and perhaps thousands of people that come to Jesus and are healed physically, we're not saying that all of these people had saving belief in Jesus as Messiah. We're not saying that they all understood that Jesus is the Son of God incarnate and they're coming to Jesus not only to be healed of their legs that don't work, but also to be forgiven of their sins. That's not what we're saying at all. There there were certainly some among them who understood that Jesus is more than just a healer. But the passage is not presenting to us that people are coming to Jesus understanding that Jesus is more than a healer. Instead, what the passage is presenting to us is that all who are coming to Jesus have a certain belief in Jesus. And what is that belief? It is a belief that He can heal them. 
And that's the faith that Nazareth lacked. Nazareth, by and large, lacked the belief that Jesus could heal anybody. And lacking the belief that Jesus could heal anybody, God wasn't about to say, oh, let me prove you're wrong. Just stand back and watch. God doesn't work that way. Instead, those at Gennesaret, they come to Jesus believing at the very minimum that Jesus has the power to heal them and more. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But Jesus at least has the power, the ability to heal them. How do we know that? We know that because if they didn't believe that, why would they be bringing people to Jesus? It would make no sense whatsoever that the people by droves are bringing the sick to Jesus to say, well, we don't really think he can heal anybody, but just in case, just in case we're wrong. The people are bringing the sick to Jesus because they at least believe he's able to heal. So Gennesaret is given to us as a contrast over and against. There's the unbelief of Nazareth. Certainly they did not in Nazareth believe that Jesus was Messiah come in the flesh, but they didn't even believe that he had the ability to heal people. All these miracle stories that they were hearing about, they they didn't believe those. But then on the other hand, there's Gennesaret where there's widespread belief that Jesus is able to heal and being able to heal. Let's get our sick to him. And so as such, Gennesaret is given to us as a metaphor of saving faith. A metaphor of saving faith. Now, before you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's let's make sure we don't allegorize the scriptures. Before we say that, let me just point out that Jesus himself often pointed to his miracle activity as a kind of word picture or illustration or metaphor for his saving work. Jesus would do that. For example, he would point to his miraculous feeding, miraculous lo- uh, miraculously mel- multiplying the loaves and fishes. He would take that and teach the disciples about his saving work. So Jesus himself gave us the pattern of looking to his miraculous activity and seeing in that something that shows us something about his saving work. When Jesus heals the sick, He's not saving their souls, necessarily. So perhaps the majority of all these that are coming to Jesus for healing, perhaps they're receiving a physical healing, but going away still not believing in Jesus as any more than a great healer. Or perhaps there's some who do. But those who come to Him at Gennesaret, they're not coming to receive necessarily spiritual healing, but this is a metaphor, this is a picture. We see something in Jesus' physical healing work that teaches us something about His spiritual healing work, of His forgiving work. And so what do we see at Gennesaret? First of all, we see a widespread, deep conviction of our need. And that is demonstrated so very plainly in the people's frenzied activity. They're running about to get all the sick people and bring them to Jesus. What is behind all that other than the people saying, we've got nothing else. There's nobody else that can do this. They will die or they will lay there unable to walk or unable to see or unable to work for the rest of their life unless we can get them to Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can help them. 
So there's this recognition of a deep need. There's an understanding, there's a realization that the reality is that there are no options open to me and this is the only option and Jesus is the only one that I can go to. So this connects to us, of course, from chapter 2, verse 17, where Jesus said, I didn't come for the, for the healthy. I, came, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinner. Meaning, of course, in that passage that Jesus is not saying that there are some who don't need him. But instead, Jesus is saying the only people I came for are the ones who recognize they need me. The ones who have no recognition of their need for me, I'm doing nothing for them. Because we must start with the recognition that you need me, that you need my intervention into your life, that you need my intervention into your soul. And so these people are demonstrating that they understand we need Jesus's intervention. So they're running and they're getting the sick and they're bringing the sick to them. And as they bring the sick to them, or as they bring the sick to Jesus, What they are showing, they're displaying that they believe at least three things about Jesus. They believe, first of all, that He is accessible to them. They believe that when they bring the sick to Jesus, they will be able to get to Jesus. That He is, first of all, accessible. Secondly, they believe that He is willing. That they won't bring the sick to Jesus and Jesus will turn His back, unwilling to do anything for them. Instead, they believe that He is willing. And then thirdly, we're going to see that they believe that He has the power. So three things that show us very important truths about saving faith. Saving faith is a way of, is a, is a casting of our soul, a casting of one's whole soul without reservation upon Christ with the confidence that He is, number one, accessible to the sinner. Number two, willing to receive the sinner. And number three, able to save the sinner. So let's walk through the passage and we'll see these three things. First of all, from verse 50, well, we'll start back at 52 again, or 53. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and more to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, They laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might even touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. We we must just read that passage and just marvel at the accessibility that Jesus makes of himself to these people. It might be easy to just pass over this and just think, well, here's Jesus making his way and people are coming to him left and right and they can eventually get up to him and the crowds are big, but as long as you wait long enough, you'll, you can eventually get to Jesus. Instead, what we should see here quite plainly is that Mark has set us up from early on in the gospel to understand something about the size of these crowds and something about the nature of these crowds. Remember, as Jesus said, we need to have a boat just in case I need to escape in case the crowd's about to crush me. We talked about crowd mentality and crowds, how crowds can sometimes work. And so the crowds that Jesus, that Mark is describing for us are so voluminous, so large, so many people that we must conclude that in order for all who came to Jesus to be able to touch him, Jesus had to purposely and intentionally make himself accessible to all who came. 
There were none who came to Jesus and spent three days trying to get to Him and then just had to turn around and go back home because they couldn't wait any longer and they just couldn't get to Jesus. All who came to Him were healed. There were none who came to Jesus who left disappointed. All who came to Him were able to access Jesus. And something there is very important for us to see about the accessibility of our Messiah. Jesus makes Himself supremely accessible to all who would come to Him. All who are come to Him, as He says in John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And of all who come to me, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, Jesus came into the world to save sinners and His mission to save sinners meant that He would make Himself accessible to all who came to Him, both those who come to Him for spiritual healing and the much, much larger crowds that come to Him for physical healing. There's not one instance in all the Gospels of anyone who came to Jesus for physical healing and was turned away. Not one. At the, at the least... There are, that, of course, the story of Jesus who first forgives the sins of the paralytic before healing him, but no one comes to Jesus for physical healing and is turned away because He makes Himself accessible to all who come to Him. And this is good news. This is the good news of the God who has become man. The crowds are coming. The crowds are pressing in on Him. There's people everywhere. There's crowds everywhere. But Jesus just makes it a purposeful and intentional point that He will be accessible to all who come. There is none who come to Jesus and say, I wanted to get to Jesus, I just couldn't. I was just blocked by the crowds. I was blocked by these people that were in my way or I just didn't have the time to get to Him. None who came to Him were turned away. As He says, all who come to Me, they will never be cast out. And that is good news. Because the sinner must believe that we have a rescuer who will make himself accessible to all who come. The sinner must know that they are coming to a rescuer, that they don't have to take a number and wait in line, and they don't have to hope that they're one of the ones near the front of the line that they can get to Jesus. The sinner comes to Jesus knowing all who come to him, he will not turn any away. The disciple who walks with Jesus must know that whoever turns to Him will find Him facing you with arms open. None will turn to Jesus to find His back turned. No matter how long you have neglected Him, no matter how long you have failed to pray, no matter how cold you feel that your heart has grown to Him, if you are His child and you turn to Him, you will find His arms open and His face glowing to receive you because none come to Him and find His back turned. None come to Him and find Him inaccessible. The sinner and the disciple must both know that when we come to our rescuer, we are coming to one who makes Himself supremely accessible. Secondly, we see how Jesus, makes it, Jesus is completely willing to heal all who come to Him. His willingness to heal all is something that is quite remarkable in the passage. All who come to Him and all who touch Him are made well, and all who come are allowed to come to Him. The willingness of Jesus to heal is so quite remarkable here. Let's remind ourselves of the recent context. The disciples were sent out for this initial sending out period 
They come back so weary, so physically weary, so mentally and emotionally weary, so spiritually weary. Jesus says to him, look, let's get away. You haven't even had time to eat, but let's get away so that you may rest. Meanwhile, Jesus has been doing that for well over a year and a half now. The crowds that have flocked around Jesus every day have been consistent. Jesus nevertheless says, let's go, let's get some rest. So they go across the lake for this day of rest. The day of rest never came, did it? Instead, it was a day of work. It was a day of long ministry work into the night. And then as the night begins, they set out on the sea, rowing across, even rowing across calm waters would have been a night of work, but they row into the storm, into the waves all night. Meanwhile, Jesus prays all night. Jesus didn't sleep the night before. Now they get to the land the next day. Jesus has now been going at this pace for over a year. And remember back in the day of healing at Capernaum, as the people came to Him, we made note there that Jesus Jesus wasn't this healing machine. Jesus wasn't a healing vending machine. That if you just came and put a couple of quarters in the slot and pushed your number, then out came a healing. Instead, the Gospels present Jesus' healing work as something that extracts something from Him. Something is taken. Something is required of Jesus. We don't know. The, the hypostatic union, the union of Christ, the Son of God, and man, the union of those two natures are such that we can never comprehend that. So there is so much that we don't understand about the man Jesus. But what we do understand is that the healing activity in which Jesus engaged took something from Him. It required something of Him. It exhausted Him in some type of a way. And so that night of healing, all night long, as He wanted to touch everyone who came to Him, and each one took something from Him. The woman who touches the hem of His garment, He turns around and He says, I felt power go out from me. So all of these healings take something. They require something of Him. And yet He is supremely willing For all who come to Him, come unto me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He is willing for all who come to Him. There is none who ever come to Jesus in faith and repentance who find Him unwilling to receive them. The leper said, to Jesus back in chapter 1, if you are willing, you are make, you can make me clean. And Jesus must have looked at him and shook his head and said, oh, I am so willing. I am so willing. That's why I came. None come to Jesus in faith and repentance and find him unwilling to receive them. 